This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. The fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck program. It is a good thing that we keep record of all of our shows. That we have archives. That's true. It's a big one. When you say something and later on we need to kind of check on its accuracy. Yeah. So it's good to make sure we have the archives. Ten years ago, ten years ago, I said something and it has come true. And it's pretty stunning. One of the most surprising examples. Yeah, and we will uh, give that to you next. Ten years ago. Ten years ago on this program. I made a mocking prediction and said, you know, I'll tell you what the left should be upset about. It's a song. (laughs) And I laid out the case 10 years ago. And while I've taken it a couple of steps further further than, than they are currently, remember, this was comedy. This was insane 10 years ago. Listen. But baby, it's cold outside. But baby, it's cold outside. See, maybe this is just the... Been hoping that you drop in. Maybe this is just the negative side of me, but... just like ice. Beautiful, what's your... I'm liking this. You know, I use it. Stop this song for a second. You know, maybe it's just me, but I I mean, this has always seemed like, oh, it's kind of cute. But then I heard it done by Dean Martin, and Dean Martin, you know, you couldn't trust. I mean, he was a friend of Frank Sinatra. You know what I'm saying? Unions. So, uh, so then I hear it from Dean Martin, and, uh, and I think there, there's something here. There, there's something much deeper than this. In fact, go go back to the beginning. I just want you to listen to the words. Yeah. You know, it seems like oh, it's like oh, it's all like a Rankin and Bass Christmas card too. But baby, it's cold outside. But baby, it's cold outside. Okay, stop, 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 stop. First, she says, "I really can't stay," and he says, "But baby, it's cold outside." All right. So what I'm, if I may. In other words, what he's saying is, guess what, skank? Put out or I'm going to leave you stranded in sub-zero temperatures. You know what I mean? It's cold outside. (laughs) Now, you might think that's a little dramatic. You know, right now. But may I lay the rest of the song out to provide some context? Go ahead. Been hoping that you drop in. I'll okay, okay, okay. Now, here she's saying, I really can't stay. She's trying to politely get out of there. I got to go away. You know, that's what she says. I got to go away. When was the last time you said, I got to go away? To somebody who's, hey, no, you just stay with me. I got to go away. You don't say, I got to go away. And she says, the evening's been, 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 been so very, very nice. She's trying to act like nothing's wrong and excuse herself. Right? I, I, I gotta go away. The evening's been very, very nice. And then what does he tell her he's gonna do? Listen to this. Hoping that you drop in. I'll hold your hands. They're just like ice. Stop. Just, stop, just, 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 just. Holding your hand. 
That's a sign of affection, right? Holding your hands, that's restraint. <laughs> that's a form of imprisonment. Then she says, They're just like ice. Beautiful, what's your heart? Listen to Stop, 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 stop. She says, My mother will start to worry. And my father will be pacing the floor, which is exactly the thing that a hostage says. If my contact doesn't hear from me, they're going to come looking. And then what does he say in response? Listen to this. Listen to the fireplace roar. Stop. See what I'm saying? You didn't catch it? Let me tell you something. You're never going to work for the FBI unless you follow along. You got a hostage situation. He's holding her hands. She's saying, "There's somebody's going to come for me. They know where I am." And then he says, "Listen to the fireplace roar." In other words, I'll burn you alive if you don't stay and put out. That's what I'm hearing here. Oh, how did we miss this our whole life? Then she decides it's escalating too fast. Listen to what she says. To the fireplace roar. Beautiful, please don't hurry. Put some records on while I pour. Stop, 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 stop. So she decides it's escalating out of control. Well, well, okay, man. Maybe just one more drink. Just one more drink. And then he distracts her. He says, you put on some records. First of all, who plays records anymore? Serial killers. She she says, oh, okay, maybe half a, half a drink more, maybe just half a drink. And he says, yeah, put on some of those records while I pour. So now he's set up to pour the drink while her attention is elsewhere. What does he do? He drugs the drinks. Hello? As evidenced by what she says next. Put some records on while I pour. Baby, it's bad out there. No cabs to stop, be Stop, stop. There it is, Your Honor. Say, what's in this drink? <laughs> then she says... But no cabs to be had out there. Your eyes are like stars. I wish I knew how. I'll to break this spell. I wish I... Say, what's in this drink? I wish I knew... How to break this spell. In other words, I think I just ingested the date rape drug. Oh, I'd like to stop the effects now. He's going to burn me to death. Mom, death. In the middle of it, <laughs> he says, like that. I'll take your hat. Your hair looks swell. Okay. All right. All right. He says, your eyes are like starlight now. Clearly, the effects of GHB kicking in now. And and then he says, I'm going to take your hat. Yes. At her most vulnerable moment, he begins to take her clothes off. <laughs> then she says, mind if I'm moving. Oh, wait, wait, wait. She says, I ought to say no, 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 but she can't. Why? Because she's basically paralyzed now, laying next to the fire where he's She's terrified he's going to burn her to death. And he mockingly says, mind if I move in close? No, this is a horror movie. <laughs> Knowing she can't resist, 
She takes solace in the fact that she at least has tried to stop his advances. And then he says, Take your hat, your hair looks swell. At least I'm going to say that I try. Baby, it's cold outside. Okay, look, I mean, the song Stop It. It's, uh, we should never play this again. It is, uh, it's, it's the nightmare before Christmas. You know, it just goes on and on and on. You know, I simply must go. The clear answer is no. Yet he. He keeps coming and coming and coming. You know what this is? This is the story of the guy that dogged the bounty hunter arrested in Mexico. <laughs> oh, the the welcome has been so nice and warm. Yeah, 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 yeah. That warmth is, uh, you know, the warmth that GHB induces. You see what I'm saying? Your lips look delicious. Oh, I bet they do, Hannibal the cannibal. <laughs> I get it. Put out or you're going to find yourself in an icy grave. Merry Christmas. Is that too? That's amazing. Is it just me? That is 10 years ago. It was, I think, just me 10 years ago. It was, and, and now it's not. And that was uh, that was something that uh, that was something that was a comedic observation 10 years ago. Yeah, it was. I mean. You never think we'd get to that ridiculous point. Now, this is why there is no comedy anymore. Because the things that are funny, you have to take it to the extreme. How do you take America to the extreme now? It's already, it lives at the extreme. Do you have any outrage-addicted people in your life? Oh, you know what pisses me off about that? You want to help them, but you're constantly dodging things that are being thrown, and you don't know how. Try giving them a copy of Glenn Beck's latest book, Addicted to Outrage. It's much cheaper than therapy, and hurts less than a book to your head. And it's more fun. Addicted to Outrage, the new book from Glenn Beck. Available everywhere books are sold. So, uh, how long do I have to look at your ugly sweater? Uh, it lights up. It does light up. What you don't know is during the breaks, Stu just makes it worse by uh, pushing a little button on his sweater. Yeah, because the sweater doesn't just light up, which is mm -hmm. always is, is always a good part of a sweater. No, you um, you want it to make loud noises, uh, and his uh, his sweater does. Yeah, it, it plays his, music too. Yeah, so um, you just uh, what I go with. Oh, you have to. Mm -hmm. I mean, you. you know, why would you not go with the Eagles theme song right. every single break to annoy Glenn? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know what that day, really sounds like. What does it sound like? It sounds like it sounds a little like, uh, uh, like, uh, like this. Hang on, just a second. It's not on my sweater, so it doesn't come up right away. <laughs> the Soviet national anthem. Yeah, this, we push the button on my sweater, and so... I would believe that from you. It, it, I mean, the fly eagles fly kind of sounds like the old Soviet national anthem. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's an eagle. It's a national symbol. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. You know, the lyrics also in that Soviet national anthem also had, 
we're the land of liberty and and we're a free people <laughs> there you yeah, go so there you go uh <laughs> last night i took uh i took rafe out to uh a movie because i promised him he's he's wanted to see um deadpool deadpool and uh i have not seen it i know it's rated r and it's very uh, rated r too by yeah the way. And it's very rated r <laughs> it's really over the top um so I haven't seen it. He obviously hasn't seen it, but he's wanted to see it. Blah, 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 blah. So um, I said, there's a new cut of this. Now, this is something that conservatives have been asking for forever. Mm-hmm. Can you cut the rated R? Can you give it a cut for us prudes? Well, they've done it. They've done it. This is the first time. And it's, I think, brilliant. First of all, they double dip. You have the rated R audience that goes too far, and then you have the PG-13 that still goes really, really far. Um, but uh, you you have that standard now, and you have that choice. This is what we've been asking the movie companies to do forever. Why can't we have, uh, what is it, uh, the angel thing, vid angel? Right, yeah. Why can't we have that? Well, because it's an art thing. You're losing money. Right, which is not usually what where Hollywood goes. No, now, sure, there's indie films that maybe they can make the art argument on, but Deadpool, yeah, Deadpool, yeah, they're trying to make it. a lot of cash. And it was, it was the first one was really funny. The second one was funny too. So I didn't, I don't know. I haven't seen either of them. And you might go see this and say, oh, they butchered the movie. I think it was really, really funny, and and especially the way they did it. They didn't just go and edit this movie. They filmed about 30 minutes extra. Because that was my question with this whole process. I saw Deadpool 2, the rated R version, when it first came out, and if you just edited it to make it PG-13, it would be like four minutes long. Like, there's, <laughs> there's no, not... You, I think you will... I think you will really... I think you'll really like it, They Stu. really made it into a new product though it right? is it's not because it movie. starts out it's so great and i thought this was just for the trailer i thought they were just going to cut this movie and you know make it shorter and you know take some of the stuff out but they didn't um it, it, it starts exactly like the opening scene of of uh princess bride when the grandpa is sitting there in the chair okay so you don't have the mom in there, et cetera. But when grandpa is there and he's like, hey, I brought something. I brought a book. That's Deadpool playing the grandpa. <laughs> the room looks exactly the same. And Fred Savage is in it. But he's wearing a wedding ring and he's he's an adult. <laughs> and he wakes up as if a, from a drug-induced state. And he's like, where am I? What What is happening? And he's like, hey, fella. I've got a little book for you. I'm going to read it. He's like, what the, is, where, is this the set from, uh, is this the movie set from, yeah, it is. <laughs> and so they recreate, except he's hostage. Mm-hmm. And, and this is all in the trailer, by the way. These are not, uh, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not giving away giving anything. Away anything. Uh, but it is, it, it goes throughout the movie. It keeps going back just like the Princess Bride. Which I thought was brilliant, really, really brilliant, and very, very funny. Um, at one, at one point, I'm not going to give it away, um, but uh, uh, the Deadpool character with Fred Savage uses—he's uh, got a little boop boop where he can bleep words. 
uh, because it's a PG-13. Uh, uh, and um, and Fred uses a different ed, uh, F word <laughs> that is not bad. Uh, and that's worth the price of admission alone, uh, uh, the great. way it's used uh, against him in that scene. Very funny. Very, very funny. That whole, you know, the whole premise of that is it's very aware of itself being a movie. Um, the whole, you know, oh, the yeah. whole movie's about that. Yeah. So Lazy writing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, the, yeah. Mm. Uh, that's good. I, I feel like that's a really, that's something we should, even if you don't like Deadpool, and you don't care about Deadpool is something we should be praising Hollywood for a little bit because that's something we have to manage for a asking. long time. You know, make, make, you... It, make it so other you know so people can see it. You don't have to have every f bomb in the, in the movie. You don't have to have every sex scene in the movie. We still want to see these movies, and there have been some services. I know VidAngel was one of them. Is it, is it, uh, there's another Clean Flex, Pure Flex, one of those. Yeah, uh, uh, Pure. Like, I can't remember Lynch. which one it I is. can't remember. But there's a service. I know Pat Gray uh, from Pat Gray Unleashed uses it uh, on Netflix, and you can watch any movie, and it will like edit it so you can you can take out whatever you want. You can take out swears. You can take out sex scenes. I don't know if, if Jeffy would be here. He would say he wanted to add in more sex right. scenes. I don't, I don't think, think it, it does doesn't that. Doesn't do that. Uh, but other than that, it's pretty it's pretty handy. But I mean, the idea that they would go through and instead of just a strict edit, actually make something new out of the movie to please audiences that maybe don't want to see all the R-rated stuff. is That's a great that's I thought a great it outcome. was brilliant. I thought it was brilliant. Because the kids want to see that movie, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it's the only one they can't see, and it only makes them want to see it more. Right. Of all the Marvel movies, right? This is the only one uh, that's the only R. Yeah. And it, it, it just based on the PG-13, I could imagine what the R was like. That's got to be a hard oh. R. <laughs> oh, yes. Because it's very... yeah. It pushes the boundaries quite a bit, but yeah, that's sort of the joke, right? Like right. it's it's very violent. It's you know, there's lots of references. There's lots of swearing. It yeah. definitely goes. I mean, that's the whole point of it, right? I yeah. think the charm of that character, outside of his cynicism and sort of sarcastic nature, is the idea that you know, you're combining this like thing that you normally see in a kids movie with everything you would never see in a kids movie. So let's just say this: uh, uh, you should be aware that. Uh, had my wife attended this thir- PG-13 movie, and mm. it wasn't the two boys in the theater, uh, it, it may have we may not have made it to the end. If they push this PG-13 as far as they can push it, um, but I, I would imagine it's very clean compared to the the actual version. And even if you saw the original see this one what they did with fred savage is really brilliant this is the glenn beck program we welcome to the show mr uh, andrew heaton who has a podcast on uh, on blaze tv called uh, something something something's up uh, something's, something's off, off with something's andrew off yeah. with andrew heaton uh and it there when you get to know him, there really is something off mm-hmm. uh, with An- uh, with Andrew Heaton. Thank you for having me back. Good to be here. Uh, so I-, I wanted to start with this, a- Andrew. I don't know if you've been following the the Russian spy yes. thing yeah. that was libertarian, I guess. Marina Butina. Yeah. yeah. Well, she uh, she was, I think she'd been to Freedom Fest a couple of times. And uh, Freedom Fest is a big libertarian gathering in the desert uh, that, that happens every year. And I think she'd been there. And I've... Uh, I actually op- I did warm up for William Shatner there a couple of years ago, <laughs> really? uh, which is the the highlight of my comedic career, by the way. Yeah, is yeah, doing jokes yeah. for William Shatner and then sneaking up behind him and going, "Can I get a picture?" And him going, "You're very funny." 
And I was like, great. Uh, it doesn't matter if anyone thinks I'm, th I'm fine. I don't think I met her. And I was kind of worried because I have kind of a thing for redheads. And this is pretty well documented. And, yeah. uh, and so <laughs> I was mean like, by like the police. Yeah, there's I'm sure that there's all sorts of organizations <laughs> right. keeping tabs okay, on me. And, yeah, I, and right. so what I saw that I was like, wait a minute. And like and I, I dated a, uh, a, a young lady who's from a different country who's a redhead. So when I first saw that headline of like spy, I was like, oh, wow. No, it's not her. I didn't I didn't I didn't date Marina Boutine. <laughs> right. But I do. Um, I like, I'm going to take the, the, the contrarian approach on this and say, like, thank you, Russia, for having the decency and the gentlemanliness of sending us hot spies. That is some old school gentleman tactics <laughs> that has fallen out of use in international diplomacy. There's one country I'm thinking of. I'm not going to mention which one it is, but from what I can tell, all they're doing is hacking us from a basement somewhere in China. <laughs> and I appreciate the Fair fact that the Russians will at least send over hot women to seduce our guys. Wasn't that part of the Cold War era? Wasn't that? Yeah. I mean, it was the best part of the Cold right. War era. We got right. good Twilight Zone episodes, and uh, we got we got these hot spies <laughs> right, to come exactly over. Exactly right. Yeah, it was like the, the constant fear of nuclear death was alleviated somewhat by the fact that you know you might end up having a fling with a russian agent that was cool and they're they're keeping that alive thank you thank you russia like that tells me they respect us right i think too the uh, the change from the soviet union to russia um and and just whatever bit of capitalism entered uh, their world in that transition really made their women hotter like there were not they, they that's their biggest oh, export yeah. at this point are just really attractive women yeah. That was not the case. You go back and look at some of those, like you know, uh, Olympics oh teams gosh. from the seventies and eighties. It's it's they were not the scary. case. Yeah, you got Anna Kornikova and Maria Sharapova, and we're, it, we're, there's a constant may, flow. Maybe they were just hot, but sad and starving. Uh, I don't it like. Could be I, that. I'd have it to go back be. and look. It's possible that you look and you're like, oh, I can't. I'm not remotely aroused because of the misery of that place. <laughs> yeah, and that's probably good. Yeah, <laughs> if, no, if I, were, I just remember yeah. them being big and frightening. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's not a woman is it i mean you know you a lot right of now you're like stuff, with yeah. with transgenderism and you know you kind of but this was they weren't trying not to be women they were women they just looked like big men what did the men look like they were all like the hurly burly like barrel chested like yeah. uh drunks okay drunks. so it's just it's a nation of weightlifters all right. yeah all pretty much that's my entire okay. stereotype or gymnasts or chess players right they're really into chess right yeah right right so uh so you never met her i don't think it's possible i met her it wouldn't surprise me but i'm i'm confident i didn't date her right uh, i'm like that that's the right. thing that i had to do a quick because you dated on. almost all the libertarian women there are eight and i have dated five uh -huh. uh, wow. so the, yeah. the remaining three it's just a, if they get divorced i gotta swoop in we yeah should, we should <laughs> point out that technically because since she was a russian spy there's really only seven that's true you're right so, there's actually yeah. only seven and we can infer that one of them's probably a spy and the right. remaining seven so <laughs> right. so yes it's it's a pretty slim number yeah it's kind of a sad life you live yes i we're, we're all in agreement uh yeah. you know i'm a snappy dresser with a sad life yeah so um you've been covering a couple of stories that uh you know have not been covered by the mainstream media yeah. or really anybody else mm -hmm. uh thus the name something's off with yeah. andrew heaton well, you know, I, there's a few things we endeavor to do. Uh, it, it is a, a fun podcast. It's mm -hmm. a thoughtful podcast. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I do, uh, I bring on a lot of people to have discourse. The, the motto of the show is uh, um, good and intelligent people can disagree on matters of substance. Mm -hmm. But before I get into that thoughtful stuff, I try and find headlines that I don't feel are getting sufficient attention in the national media. And this week, 
Uh, I didn't even do multiple headlines. I dedicated like a full block to trying to unravel this story, which I believe is what's going to get me the Pulitzer this next year. Really? Which is one of my goals for 2019. Wow. Uh, okay. 2019 right. is, is get a Pulitzer. So what was the story that you were... So, and I, I need to stress, I'm not making any of this up. This right, is okay. all totally legitimate. Okay. Uh, scientists were concerned that in, in Hawaii, endangered monk seals kept being found with dead eels up their nostrils. That they were <laughs> apparently snorting eels... Right. And have you seen this? Yeah, I saw oh, the picture. picture. It's creepy. And they don't seem to no, mind it. They seem... Pr- I, I don't know seal psychology super well, right. but they appear to be kind of blithely unaware. I would... Or or the fact that they don't have hands. They know there's nothing they can yeah, do about just, it. So just it's just like, whatever, incredible. I gotta... They're the Buddhists of the, uh, the right. animal world, where yeah. they're like, you know what? Like, can't can't do anything about it, so don't reject it. Just, just roll with the punch. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they they so it started out with this photo that's gone viral yeah, yeah, where yeah. there's there's this seal monk that looks like it's half asleep with this two inches of, of eel dangling out of its nostril. <laughs> and this scientist, it was spotted on, you know, one of these endangered species cams or whatever, whatever the scientists have set up there. And so he sent out this email and I, I, I did some research on this. The email subject line was just eel in nose question mark. Mm-hmm. And it was him emailing the other scientists to see if there was a protocol for removing eels from seal noses and they had to do a back and forth and eventually they're like apparently we don't have this in the handbook so some guy just went out there and like pulled it out like a like a magic ah. trick like one of those handkerchiefs the oh. magician has took out this dead uh dead uh it was dead it was yeah yeah it's it's it, i don't know how long it was alive by the time they got it it was dead the seal was fine uh the seal was fine uh, although this is one of the concerns they have is that if if this keeps happening and they found like they've got like five documented cases of this now uh, at least four. They said four or five. So I assume one of them might be the same. They're just not sure. Um, but their their fear is that if this keeps happening, that the uh, the monk seals will either get pneumonia or there just might be general health complications from having a rotting eel carcass in your nostril, which I think is a right. fair assumption. <laughs> right. And so I so I'm, are the are the eels crawling in against the will of the seal? That is a great question. Or <laughs> are they are the eels going somehow or another? Come see what's inside right. the cavern of my face. You're, okay, the, great question. And this is what has been racking the scientific community mm-hmm. uh, these mm-hmm. few months mm-hmm. since this started happening. Uh, we're, we're, putting, we're putting cures for cancer on the back burner. And we're mm-hmm. all trying to figure out. Uh, oh, it's important. I mean, I'm a doctor, so I understand. Yeah. And I'm the a importance. deputy scientist. Right. Okay. Uh, I own a lab coat. That's how that works under U.S. <laughs> law. Uh, and uh, no, so the, the, there's kind of three prevailing theories. And I've got my own fourth theory. The, the first theory is that. The monk seals, when they're they're hunting and they eat eels, among they eat eels, urchins, and octopi. Mm-hmm. The theory is that they will find a hole underwater and just kind of shove their head into it and start grounding around, and there'll be an eel inside, and the only orifice with which it could escape is the seal nostril from the perspective of the eel. So it just shoots up there trying to escape, oh, and that yeah. doesn't work. So that's one theory, right? That's a pretty good that's, theory. And that's pretty I, smart. I feel like that's a good idea from the good. eel. It's yeah. actually pretty smart. It's, you know what, like, I mean, shoot the moon. If you can make it through that whole gastrointestinal tract, that mm-hmm. would you would be the greatest eel of all time if mm-hmm. you could work your way through there. But so far, well, you know what? Maybe they have. We're only seeing the dead ones. <laughs> right. Maybe, maybe, maybe the really fast eels get <laughs> right. out. Uh, I don't think it's super likely because apparently, again, I spent way too much time researching this. Uh, seals have pretty good muscle retention in their nostrils. Like, I think it's almost like a sphincter or something where they can control that hole. So I don't think it's likely something could force it in, which brings us to theory number two, which is that they're vomiting out the eels. So, like, if you've ever, you know, shoot Mr. Pip out your nose when you're laughing because you're, you're watching Newhart. <laughs> ah, right. Newhart, great show. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're watching show. that and Bob Newhart, just, you're, yeah. oh, he's so funny. Yeah. And you, you shoot out that Mr. Pip out your nose. Could be something like that, right? 
Um, again, but it's like the whole eel. So I don't think that's like, <laughs> and the, the third one, which is kind of the one the scientists seem to be gravitating towards is, and I'm not, again, this is them, not me. Teenagers are dumb. Their theory is that just, there are dumb monk seal, probably males that just snort eels for the hell of it, because why not to impress their, their seal. Buddies. So it's like the T it's like the seals. Tide it's like drag racing. It's like Tide Pods. It's like yeah. Tide Pods. Stupid thing they it's do. It's like they're, the SEAL adults are like, look at the damn teenagers. Mm-hmm. Our entire society yep. of SEALs going to be wiped out in the next the, the, generation. The elder SEALs are talking about how the water used to be wetter. Right. And how the, the, right. the young SEALs are narcissistic. They don't have proper SEAL right. respect. And they don't flip, clap their flippers as well. Right. My, my theory, by the way, is I, I think there's probably cocaine in them. I think that there's cocaine inside the eels. I don't know where cocaine comes from, but it's probably eels. It comes from and, plants. Uh, uh, it does it? Well, maybe. And uh, I guess those eels are eaten because that's the only thing I can think of that would compel an animal to suck an eel up or any uh, any species to suck an eel up its nose. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, let me let me switch uh, topics uh, to uh, Cohen. Well, okay. So if you're on the Pulitzer Committee, if you're listening, you're on the Pulitzer Committee. I'm doing yeoman's work here. It's a big investigation. It's yeah. it's on, on the level with the right. Miami Herald with uh, the, the, all the the stuff they did. This the, uh, the Epstein case. The Epstein yeah. case. I mean, there's a there's a few nominees, uh, but you're there. I'd share it with you're, the Miami Herald. Okay. Okay. So you know that uh, he he does have an Emmy. He won an Emmy. Uh, I I I I was given an Emmy by John Stossel. I, I've right. not, I so so John Stossel, great guy. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, that I I worked with uh, or I worked near. I wasn't on the same team as him at Fox Business, but this um, is the worst award ever. So he he was given to you. He won it. He gave it to you, and you weren't even working with him. That's not winning an well, Emmy. So you so, can't put that on the resume. So 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 John, who uh, if you don't know John, John's an incredibly smart guy and a very nice guy. Very nice guy, but also the least sentimental human being I've ever met. Yes, like he just doesn't. <laughs> it's like he had to like he, he is like what AI is going to be. Yeah, he he like he looks up like. Mm, human emotions on Wikipedia, <laughs> yes, like yes, reads about them. Yes, uh, and so for a while, what he would do is he uh, he would have these. He has like I think eight national Emmys, which mm. are a big deal, and he has like four hundred local Emmys, which mm. are important but not as big of a deal. Mm. So when he would go to college campuses, whoever asked the best question, he would just give them a local Emmy. <laughs> so when I left Fox, I went like. Uh, John, if you're just passing out Emmys, I'd take one. And he's like, why should I give it to you? And I was like, well, because, you know, I do political satire. And he just walked over and handed me a national Emmy and was like, here you go. And uh, I <laughs> So was, I thought this was okay. really, and the way and the way he told this to me, he was like, hey, you know, John really thought this was a funny thing that we did and everything else. So I'm on a plane with uh, uh, with John just a few weeks ago, and we're we're flying to, I don't remember, Bermuda. And uh, and so he he hops on the plane, and I said, John, I know a friend of yours, and he he goes off and he talks and says all great stuff about Andrew Heaton and how much he loves him and everything else. And I said, Andrew told me that you gave him an em- a National Emmy, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. You want one? <laughs> I mean, he's giving them away <laughs> yeah. like they're candy. Yeah, yeah. No, no sentimentality there. Yeah. yeah he was, <laughs> John was probably just tired of dusting. Yeah. And decided that was an easy way to get rid of it. It's incredible. Andrew, uh, Andrew Heaton. Something's off with Andrew Heaton is the podcast. Subscribe to it. You're going to love it. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Andrew, thank you so much. Thank you. So a friend of mine uh, found this um, this post and, you know, we've been talking about things you could do for the holidays to cheer people up. And this one's not going to cost you a dime, going to cost you about 40 seconds. 
I'm going to read this to you from Randy Moa of Bellingham, Washington. On his Facebook page, he said, I'm raising my 12-year-old grandson, Joe. He's been with me for six and a half years. My wife, Pauline, just passed away over a year ago. And so mostly Joe and I are doing fine, but it gets a little dismal around here sometimes. Some of Joe's comments recently have been, Grandpa, I'm getting tired of just being you and me. Maybe we could get another kid. Uh, Grandpa, I don't think people like us uh, very much. Nobody's coming around. His way to reach out is his YouTube channel. He has over 50 videos posted, currently 51 subscribers. His biggest thrill and affirmation is getting a new subscriber. Could you please go to his channel and use the quotation marks, quotation mark Joe Moa, M-O-A, and quotation marks, and uh, watch a video or two, like them, and subscribe. Please, doesn't cost anything, just a little time. Joe will be so happy. Also, feel free to share this post with your friends, blah, blah, blah. So it is quotation mark Joe Moa, M-O-A, and quotation marks. Um, kids, I've, I've watched a couple of the videos. They're harmless. They're, they're, it's just a, I don't even know how, he old, how old he is. I think he said 12. He's a 12-year-old boy. And so he's just doing, you know, 12-year-old boy videos. Um, and they're harmless. And, and, you know, he's a cute kid all by himself. Uh, up in the wilds of the Pacific Northwest um, uh, in uh, Bellingham. And so <laughs> so you go to YouTube like and you search Joe Moa, M-O-A, mm-hmm. and his, his channel comes up. And what, to, what should we do? Is you subscribe to it? Like it. Like subscribe. It. Yeah, there's a subscription page sure, for YouTube, yeah. right? So click yeah. subscribe and see how, because he's going to come, he has whatever, for 50 subscribers, he's going to come home and see more than 50, I would yeah, guess, with his 50, audience yeah. uh, doing yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't, I don't know his grandfather. I don't know Joe or anything else. So it's just, let's just quietly do this and not just not tell him <laughs> and have your kids and have your, this. and have your kids uh, subscribe. Maybe, I mean, maybe if your boy feels the same, wants a, like a pen pal, here it is. I remember I had a pen pal. I, I grew up just outside of Bellingham, uh, Washington, and I had a pen pal and he was in, I think, Troy, New York. And man, I remember waiting for those those uh, letters. And we were a pen pal for I don't know half a year or so. And I st- I wish I could remember the kid's name. I'd look him up today. Um, but uh, it was it was great. I I loved it. So anyway, do it. Go to YouTube. Uh, quotation mark Joe Moa M O A quotation mark. Like it and subscribe and give this kid a holiday treat that doesn't cost you anything. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. The fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck program. There is, there's a couple of remarkable stories today. One of them is about politics and Donald Trump and this this new letter of intent uh, to uh, negotiate for a uh, Hotel Trump Moscow. Uh, it has finally been released. Eric Bowling is going to have uh, a different view on this, I'm, I'm guessing, than mine. And I am really anxious to see uh, what is happening in the White House what this means uh, to the White House and Eric Bowling. Uh, and also, there's a there's a couple of other stories that kind of revolve around Eric's life uh, that I'm, I'm hoping we can get into on today's program. Eric Bowling in one minute. 
Eric Bowling, for a period of time, played professional sports until he was uh, injured. Then he went in, became a stock uh, trader in Wall Street, uh, then went to television. And we know the rest from there. Eric Bowling on the Blaze TV. Welcome to the program. How are you, Eric? I'm doing great, Glenn. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm honored to uh, spend some time with you on this very interesting day. <laughs> it's a very interesting day, isn't it? So here's the great well, thing. A lot, here's a, lot, a lot of demand for Bowling to explain some stuff coming out of the White House. Today. Right. So, <laughs> so, so here's, here's, here's the great thing about Blaze TV is we are a collection of people that we don't interfere with each other's show or opinion and we like each other and get along and we can disagree and i think we got, we're going to disagree on this um, but it doesn't matter i really want to hear your opinion on on the the memo that came out from the trump administration well as donald trump himself said and i agree with wholeheartedly that he had a business, he had a real estate business that was doing uh, making hotel deals around around the world. When he ran for president, no one gave him a chance, including the New York Times. On the night of the election, had Hillary Clinton with a ninety eight percent chance of winning. Uh, as the returns started to come in, I, I'll never forget seeing that that meter, the New York Times meter of likelihood of of your next president going literally yeah. pinned it to Hillary slowly and slowly and slowly. We got around ten o'clock at night. It just flipped way over to the Trump side, why would he stop doing any sort of business if he didn't if 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 he wasn't sure he was going to be president? That's insane. We would have no one running for, for elected office if that were the case. We'd have no one with, with business experience and backgrounds uh, running if they had to drop their prior businesses on in, in the in the likelihood or unlikelihood of, of them being president, no, no less. And then all of a sudden try and pick up the pieces where they left off. That would be crazy. Okay, no so, one... so I, I agree with you 100%. However, um, he denied uh, the business um, dealings with Moscow uh, long Wait, after Rudy the election. Rudy Giuliani denied it. Rudy Giuliani denied it. I don't know that Donald Trump ever denied it. I think he said, of course, I, I'm, I'm an ongoing business concern, multi-billion dollar international real estate business. Can't. Stop. I I love he, you, Eric. I love you. He, he did but say, I can't. But I can't let you get away with that. He he denied it he, relentlessly. He said he had no business dealings with with Russia multiple times, and I mean, he said, "I don't know anybody who does have any business dealings." Well, I I I I don't recall. I, I swear to you on my life, okay. I don't recall him saying specifically. Well, but does it? Okay, so no business dealings with Russia because we know there there are other um, hotels other properties that in fact he sold a, a property um, that he owned in, in florida for one that i think it was at the, yeah, that time, w- the largest real estate deal yeah, in the history right. of that one he admitted to that one he admitted to he said the only these business are, dealing our business deals so. right he said the only business deal i have with russia is i sold a property a few years ago in florida so he admitted that one and he was straight up about it my question is is why why do this the, the press has no credibility. Um, people trust Donald Trump, who voted for him. And 
you know, he did it. And you can say the same thing, you know, about, uh, you know, with Bill Clinton, this was a personal thing. It was about sex, et cetera. But he stood on the plane and he looked at the reporters and he said, I had nothing to do with it. I had nothing. I didn't even know about it. Okay, well, we find out that he did know about it. Okay, we can dismiss it because that one's a personal thing with his wife. All right. Now this one comes out. Why wouldn't he just stop all this? Why wouldn't he just come out and just say, yeah, and here's the contract? Well, because I'm not sure that they had consummated the deal at that point. I think there was an ongoing concern. I, I saw a signature on, on the note, on the memo as well. I, I, I honestly, Glenn, I'm being 100% honest with you. I don't, I don't remember him saying I have no business whatsoever with Russia, with the, with the exception of that real estate dealing in Florida. Okay, so um, okay, so I, 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 I don't want to get in. But if I, if I take your word for it, um, I could only say that that uh, you know I, I, he'd have to he'd have to circle back and say to explain explain the signature because you do know. However, I don't think it's a problem. There's no emoluments clause uh, violations whatsoever. Let's go back to the, the reality. Okay, so if, if in fact he said I have no business dealings with Russia and he had a letter of intent, not a deal. You know, you and I, Glenn, we, we go way back. We know letters of intent don't necessarily mean a deal is done. It means mm-hmm. we intend to do a deal. It's not a legal binding matter by any means. Mm-hmm. That may be where he gets around it. He may say, look, it's a letter of intent. We sign letter of intents around the world all the time for everything. I've signed how many letters of intent have you signed and or received that ended up not being a deal? Tons. So maybe that's the, the, the little quirk to it, but but let's 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 take it. Let's bring it through the machine and find out what it really is. It's really a businessman continuing to do business, you know, in the way he was until he was elected president, and then things changed. He gave the business and, and the dealings off to to Eric and Don Jr. and to a certain extent Ivanka as well, but less so Ivanka, but Eric and Don Jr. Okay, because it seems to me really the underlying issue is not an issue. He's 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 running a business that talks about international real estate, and he's in the middle of an international real estate deal. I mean, that, right. there's nothing again, there. Guys, again, and, and it's just, it's kind of dawning on me because I've I've got how many what forty years in business under my belt. It's it's just dawning on me as we speak right now that a letter of intent is not a binding contract. No, we I know. No, know no, that. it's true. No, no, no. I know that. I know but that he was dealing with them. He was attempting to get business. He kept saying, you know, I never had any business with Russia. You know, the closest I ever came to Russia, I bought a house a number of years ago in Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, you know, the New York Times has him on 23 lo- uh, oca- uh, occasions. And I don't know that all of these, a lot of them are, I have nothing to do with Russia, which isn't necessarily talking about thing. business dealings. Yeah. But he did say, I had no business dealings with Russia. I had no business with Russia. Um, you know, he I, again, I think, you know, in his defense, right, he's in the middle of getting attacked constantly by by the media. And probably he knows if he says he did have a deal brewing with Russia, everyone would accuse him of a million different things and he didn't want to deal with it. Um, and I can understand why he tried to push it off. I just feel like he it's it, you know, it's the whole Nixon thing. It's really not the crime. It's the cover up. And I don't think the crime in this case is a crime at all. It's, it's a normal business dealings. I just wish he would be a little more upfront. That's that's all I would ask. Well, and, and again, and, and I'm sorry I started the interview off not really understanding it. But as I as I talk to you and talk it out, I, a, a letter of intent literally is like a handshake. It's it's nothing more like, hey, you know, let's circle back, see if we can come to terms. So technically, he had no business deal done. And even mm-hmm. dealings is a letter of intent. Dealings. I mean, we're going to parse, you know, the, the the meaning of is is <laughs> here again. But I, I don't know. Maybe we want to. 
I, I, but uh, again, there, there, there was no deal done. There was no deal consummated. And, uh, you know, the difference is like when you do a deal, you sign a contract and you do a press release. That's true. I mean, it's just, again, it is six. What is it? Letter of intent. I'm, not, I'm laughing because it's, it's literally it's, there's, there's literally thousands of letters of intent that, you know drawn up and 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 you know they're 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 worth the paper that they're written on and that that's about it. Yeah, no, it's true. It, it, I mean, it's a detailed letter of intent, right? I mean, it's 16 pages of all the different you know going down to like how they're going to figure out concession splits. I mean, it's pretty. It's relatively detailed. But I think to your point, Eric, it's it's. It's true that the media is going to kind of obsess over this and they're going to say this is proof of, you know, collusion about the election when I mean, it has really nothing has nothing to do to with do that at all. With the election. They're just going to try to conflate these things. This is the problem. This is the problem that the they are conflating absolutely everything into this collusion with Russia and the election and I just don't see it. I don't believe it. They would have to show me the, you know, the evidence of it. And I have not seen any evidence that there was collusion for the election. It just it, it, it it's so frustrating because right, right. the president, right. you know, you know, the media, you know, these the, the liberal hack media that that if they can make something up they can take a, a you know, know. seed and, and, and call it a tree they will I know. there isn't there's no there are no seeds and, and if there were and if there if Mueller was sitting on something it would leak by now it would leak we would know that there would be something that they've got him tattooed to the wall and it there, there's I no just, there's I, no secrets in dc so eric i am I, i'm just to the point to where i don't really care to speculate i don't want to i don't want to speculate on what they have what they don't have cuz i'm tired of it i watch cnn it's not a news show it's 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 like a psychic hour that they're saying well i'm looking in the crystal ball and i think this is what they've gotten i don't care i don't care I just want to talk about the things that we do know they have. So if they've got something else, they'll come out with it. Until that time, I don't even want to talk about it because it makes no difference to anybody's life. And it just confuses things and pits us against each other. On what? On speculation coming from people I don't trust? I'm not, I'm not interested. Well, but, so, but it rates, Glenn, and, and that's what the left does. And you, you're watching MSNBC's ratings in prime time creep up in fact even past fox's ratings in prime time it's uh it's what's it's what the left and in the anti-trump crowd wants to hear that we're getting close to to nailing the president they, 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 they're, it's almost an anticip- anticipatory viewer waiting to see what they got right. and, and and they keep getting disappointed we're yeah, i know they keep, on almost now they've been saying that every time something new breaks they're like we mm-hmm. got them this time no you don't no you don't no it's not gonna, it's it's not going anywhere um so anyway the um, most common phrase on cnn is the walls are closing in they just keep saying it over and over again as i know eventually he's, he happen. must be living in a matchbox right. by now <laughs> um all right eric bowling uh from uh, uh from ericbowling.com and blaze tv he does a nightly show from washington gives you all of the inside uh information we're thrilled to have him uh on the program today i want to switch topics and go away from politics a little bit if you'll allow me to uh in one minute so eric bowling uh i want to switch topics to you um and there's a there's a couple of things first of all what do you have what do you have coming up and what are you going to be looking uh at and doing on the blaze tv in the next in the next year 
I think we're going to continue to do what we do. By the way, Glenn, we, we, we just did a big press release that I, I signed with Blaze TV for three years, and I'm, I'm looking forward to working with you and nice. Mark and some of the other some of the other uh, conservative hosts that we, we were delivering probably the, the premier, actually the premier conservative content um, uh, in, in media right now, opinion content. So I'm looking forward to that and inviting as many other conservative, smart conservative voices to, to join me at Blaze TV. It's going to be a great venture. I'm looking forward to it. So that, that announcement just went out. That's great. I'm thrilled. Yeah. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. We are going to do what we've been doing. Our show America is just, it's unbelievable. We're, we're, we're in congressmen's offices. We are in the Senate rotunda talking to senators. I spent uh, the day yesterday at the White House with Kellyanne Conway. I'm, I spent last week with the president in the Oval Office. So I'm bringing high-level advisors and elected officials, opinion and ideas and, and you know, just policy to, to the forefront. And then we talk about it. And we're doing it three days a week right now. I think we're going to increase that to maybe four days a week. Uh, and we, we deliver it live at 5 p.m. every night. So we're having a, it's going to be a great year and we're going to continue to do what we did. And I'm looking forward to working with uh, with you, Glenn, and the, and the Blaze. And maybe we can, you know, talk regularly. That'd be a lot of fun. Oh, I'd love that. that. So, I'd love that. Uh, I- as far as the show is concerned, but I'm also <laughs> doing – this opioid awareness push. Now I've, I've teamed up with um, Sinclair broadcast on, on the TV and broadcast side and uh, probably for the next four months, so I think through April of 19, we're traveling around the country, different cities. We'll be in Dallas. We'll be in San Antonio. We'll be in um, Columbus, Ohio, Northwest, all over the country. And we're talking opioids. We had the first lady last time at Liberty university with Kelly and Conway. So we're, we're getting the opioid awareness message out to, to, to people. It's a, it's an important message. It's a it's a deadly killer that we need to really really attack as a country. You're doing that because of the tragic loss of your son that we have um, talked about, and you were you spoke about it in a very raw and real way, and um, uh, it was just I think it touched a lot of people, Eric. Um, <clears throat> uh, this is coming up now on your second Christmas without your son how are you doing um not well uh i'll be honest with you i have to one of the things you'll know about me and maybe your audience doesn't but we'll learn quickly is that there's there's no on-air persona versus a, a you know a off-air persona it's what you see on tv is it's who i am and so I, i'd be lying if i said i'm doing well or my wife and i are doing well it's a it's a rough time of year um we lost our son in September of 17. Uh, a couple of weeks later was Thanksgiving. The empty chair was happening, and we were we were about to all fall apart as a family. And uh, President Trump called, and you know it, it meant a lot for for me that he called on that moment because he knew it was a, it was the first holiday. And he he's subsequently called on many holidays since. Uh, it doesn't make it easier; it just makes it. Um, uh, makes you feel like something he cares and so what the point is that that because he showed so much empathy and compassion about this topic and and, and my loss and my wife's loss um i'm really pushing to get the message out so other families don't don't have to deal with this you know interestingly last night we finished a show at sinclair in, in dc here wgla and and we came off the hour on on opioids and you know, the producers came up and said, oh, that was that was amazing. That's great. You know, let's start working on San Antonio in January 10th. We're going to be there. And, and they're like, this is going to be, you know, great. And, and I just looked at them. I go, do you know how hard this is for me to do an hour 
on the loss of my my only child, my son. And they realized at that moment that this is really, really hard for me to do. But I swear to you, Glenn, the only thing I have to hold on to that, that there's any sort of positive that can come out of it is that we save one family from from this utter hell. And it really is a hell. So that's what that's what uh, that's what gets me up in the morning. If it weren't for that, I'm not sure. I, I um my mother committed suicide and I remember when I did the tour for um uh the Christmas sweater, uh which is um a fictional telling of, of of that and I felt so compelled to do it. Uh I remember I got off the stage every every night and I was just I said I can't do it another day. Just cannot mm-hmm. do it another day. Um mm-hmm. it's uh Sometimes when you when you hit these uh, personal moments where it is a a cause, yours being opioids, mine being suicide, it's uh, it, it it is it takes every ounce of strength you have to get through it. And I commend I'm, you for I'm doing. I'm telling it. you that feeling you felt. I can't do another day. Is what I felt last <laughs> night and after the first one. And and uh, you know it's a great message and it's a great. Uh, you know, broadcast partnership with Sinclair. They've, they've, they're, they're, they blanket the country on, on local stations and they, they, they're happy to announce 12 more. <laughs> I just looked at them like, okay, 12 more, you know, I mean, it's going to be rough, but uh, listen, if you can get the suicide message out, um, help people who, who are, or contemplating and maybe make the phone call to the suicide prevention hotline, or if I can get the message out to families, parents, talk to your kids. No one's no one's immune. Your kid's not too smart, too popular, too athletic, too white, too black, too gay, too straight, too rich, too poor. They'll all be touched. Or to kids, one pill can kill. And maybe we save a life or two, Glenn. Eric Bowling, continue in just a minute. Eric Bowling, who has just announced a new three-year deal with Blaze TV. We're thrilled to uh, have you on. Um, uh, Eric, uh, he does uh, Eric Bowling's America on Blaze TV, three, soon to be four days um, a week, and, um, and, is, and is with all of the players in Washington, knows them. Uh, can you give me any perspective? I want to touch on this real quick, then I want to get to something else. But he dropped? Can we get him, can we get him back? Wow, the deal's over already. He wow. signs three years, and, <laughs> and now then he's, he's gone. just gone. Wow. <laughs> okay, see if we can get him back. Yeah. I, I want to ask him about the border uh, uh, wall, and then uh, did we did we schedule him for? There he is. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm back. Hey, Eric, how are you? I'm good, Glenn. How are you? Good. I, I want to talk to you about one quick thing: uh, politics. And then I get something more important: um, the border wall. Uh, it, it looks like now we are we're, we've we've caved on shutting the government down. Does the president have another plan? Like he's talked about building it through the Pentagon, or what's the plan on the border wall? Yeah, we can talk about it. I don't. I I, I think he's going to build his wall one way or the other. I agree that he can't cave on. On I actually I, I wish he would have not have caved on making Mexico pay for it. I think that that still has to be part of it some way. Well, but we just we just said we're going to give him five billion dollars. I mean, we could have given the border construction people five billion dollars, but we gave it to Mexico. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I I'm this is one I think he has to hold. I think this is this is one he has to figure out before yeah. you know before a reelection campaign. But it's, it's something. 
um, if he caves on this, it's, it's, it's going to be it's one of the big ones for him. Okay. Um, Eric, can I talk to you about something? And you can feel free to say no, and we can move on. Um, but you said something to me when we did our podcast, uh, and you were very open and honest. Um, and I didn't follow up on it because I felt that I had put you through the ringer enough um, personally. But I think in this holiday season, uh, if you would address it, I, I I think it would be um, enlightening. You told me that um, not only did your uh, your son die the day he died, but your faith did as well. Yeah, and we can talk about that. You were a yeah. guy who went to church, if I'm not mistaken, every day. Six days. Six days. Yeah, six days, yeah. I, I went five days a week at, when I got to, to, to work. I would go over to St. Patrick's, and on Sunday, I went every Sunday. And it, it was... For many, for ten years, I went six days a week. And now you say was, you don't. Have, I, the last day I went to church was that day. It was a Friday. And are you? What's your relationship with God? What's what's your what's happening? It's uh, it's complicated. <laughs> um. I'm 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 trying to figure out. I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, I believe that probably many people do that, you know, you're a good person, you go to church, you, you sacrifice, you do the right thing, you be charitable, be honest, take care of people. You know, I can't tell you how many times I pull over and hand someone an umbrella. I mean, I was just, you know, and, and, and in the hopes of, you know, having some, I guess maybe it's a, it's not a right, it's not the correct way of thinking, but in hopes of having some sort of protection against something as catastrophic as, as what happened to me, I, you know, I lost my son and my, my career was kind of ended in and my faith on the same day. So yeah, still, still working it out. So do you, do you still believe in God or is it a kind of, I'm, I'm, angry or I don't know who you are or I reject you. What, what, where are you? No, it's, it's not an, I reject you. It's, it's, um, anger. If, if I believe it's anger and if, if I don't believe anymore, it's what have I done? Have I wasted all this time? And I don't know. I'm, 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 I'll be honest with you. I don't mind being honest with, with you in public. Uh, I I don't know. I I don't know where I am. Are you um, are you pursuing this, or are you just letting it settle till things calm down? No, I I mean it. it in, in, the, the the really strange thing about this this loss is you know you think about things like what happens if I lost this person or that person, and, and when the, a loss of this magnitude, and I don't think there is a big a greater loss in the world than losing a child and an only child. Um, you get thrown into a depth that's literally inexplicable. So the worst thing you could ever possibly, the lowest, the most worst feeling you could ever think you could feel, multiply it by you know a million. It's such a devastating hole that you go in. It's literally a daily struggle just to make it out of it, just to just to see that that, that, that there is a life. And so to, to start t- tackling the big issues like where is my faith? I, I, I need to, my wife and I both need, need to heal. Like I do this, the opioid um, tour and she can't go cause she, it just breaks her apart. Just, you know, uh, seeing a picture 
And so it breaks me apart too. Like last night, I, the producer didn't tell me that there was a picture of Eric Chase and I in, in, in the middle of the, the show and it just popped up and it, it almost derailed mm. me for the whole show. So it, it's still that bad. I, I did an event here in DC for, uh, for opioids and I was a keynote speaker. I got there and they were rolling pictures and they, I didn't know they were rolling pictures of, of Eric and I, and it, I, I couldn't even speak. I couldn't do the event. I was in tears. And so anyway, Eric, it's a daily struggle. May we all pray for you and your wife. Thank you, Glenn. Um, try to enjoy the holiday, and um, and I, I just I yeah. Don't get... there's, there's no there's no enjoyment. I mean, I, it's called make it true. That's what it literally is now. But um, so may you make it through. I appreciate the prayers. God bless you, Eric. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you so much. Hmm. That's brave to. T- I mean, that's that's brave to talk about like that. I mean, that's that's really that's really incredible. Uh, I can't even imagine what that guy has gone through. I don't that. think I don't think any of us know how we would react. No, you I, know, it's easy to say, well, Eric. That's when you need your faith. That's when you sure. But no, you, um, none of us know how we're going to react. And I think if we deny that people would struggle with a situation like that, it's even to their to the level of the core of their faith, then we're letting people down because when this does happen to people and it does, you know, this is a very honest process. Like this is how you're going to feel. I, I mean, I, I haven't had to deal with something like that. And in my head, I know that if something like that happened, I, you'd, you'd have no choice. I think to question everything that you've assumed about life, um, hopefully you come back to, you know, or you, you, you're able to get to the right place. And I, I, I really pray Eric does as well. And I think, you know, he's going to have his own journey on that. And it's, that's tough, but I mean, to be able to come out and talk about that in front of people and as difficult as you can tell it is for him, that is really important. Uh, you know, that's uh, that's a really brave act for him to do not only what he just did on the air, but also with opioids and everything he's doing around the country really important stuff really brave and incredibly difficult he's doing that at extreme personal sacrifice he's so honest if you missed the um if you missed the interview that i did with him uh for a podcast i think you probably find it on youtube now that's certainly yeah it's certainly available yeah mm-hmm. um and and watch it um because this is the first time he really opened up um on a national platform about the death of his son and uh, it was incredibly brave and incredibly raw. Uh, and he is obviously a man who is is going through a gigantic change in his life um, and cannot see the blessings yet. But most of us can't when we're when we're in that uh, we're in that space. You know, he it was brave of him to say, you know, I kind of looked at my faith differently i kind of looked at my service differently and nowhere really is that promised that i mean look at jesus um you know it seems like all of the good guys always get killed one way or another you know you look at all of the martyrs uh that that you know just stood and we're, we're saying, no, 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 no. I, I think you should read the Bible in your own language. I don't think you should have to have it in Latin and go to a priest because you can't read Latin. Burned at the stake. All these really great people that lost their lives. All of the apostles. And look at the stoning of Stephen. 
like it's so funny. I just read a story last night of of a guy who survived the Chicago fire. Uh, and it wiped his family out and they were just getting back on their feet and decided to go to uh, Europe for a vacation with the family. This is like 1903 or five, something like that. And um, the dad has to stay, but he said, I'll meet you over there. So the mom and their uh, four children, their four daughters are on this, on this boat and it's it hits another ocean liner in the middle of the ocean hmm. and it sinks she lives and uh the children die and she just she just uh wires to him when he when she arrives in france she wires back to her husband i survived alone i don't know what i'm going to do he gets onto a boat he goes over he gets her. Um, as they're crossing the ocean, the captain says, this is where it happened. The captain marked in his journal that he noticed they never looked down to the sea. They looked up. And they came back to uh, Chicago. They had two other children. One died at three. One died at seven. Their pastor said, you're being punished. You've done something wrong. So they just surrender completely. They move to Israel and they start just helping people. First, they, they go into World War I and they just start helping people. Um, anybody who's wounded, doesn't matter what side it's on. Then they move to Israel and eventually they build the children's hospital that is still serving people today. And it doesn't matter if you're Arab or you're Jewish or you're Christian the policy of the hospital is you have to have help and they're there i i i don't know how people survive but it is a very delicate dance uh with with god of being able to let it go without forgetting it's so difficult but letting it go and knowing that there is some reason and it's a good reason that these things happen to us. And my prayer for Eric and anyone else that is struggling is that you will hear the words. It's okay. All is well. Everything is good. Everything is as it should be. Our puny little human brains cannot wrap around the idea of tragedy being good. But in the end, if you can let it go and let it shape you in positive ways, look at what Eric is doing. He's going to save lives. That's a positive that has come out of this. Do you suffer from FOMO? FOMO can be a serious condition. If you don't know what FOMO is, frankly, that fact will probably only make your condition worse. If you do struggle with FOMO, we've got the cure. 
Glenn's free email newsletter, The Glenn Daily. Get Glenn's latest insights, top stories, and more delivered straight to your inbox. Don't limp through another debilitating day with FOMO. Subscribe now at glennbeck.com. We just never seem to have enough time on the Glenn Beck program to hit all of the things that uh, that we want to hit. Um, um, there's a lot of stuff going on with the economy that uh, nobody's really covering. Um, but keep your eye on this because things are happening fast and furious. Also, uh, the Russians look like they are repositioning two nuclear bombers in Venezuela. Uh, the... Uh, uh, the administration has already tweeted out, you know, unacceptable. Um, but Venezuela and Russia appear to be uh, working together, and, and that's never good. We also have a guest on uh, next hour, Helen Andrews, who has a really different perspective on on life and uh, and social media because she has walked a horrific walk. Yeah, her story is really fascinating. She was on C-SPAN, and she got in basically what was an, an argument with an ex-boyfriend on C-SPAN. It sort of, know, my, by my reading of it, sort of ambushed her on live television. It went viral and changed her life. This is about, I mean, what, uh, seven or eight years ago? And how her journey of how she dealt with that and where that's turned out is, is really fascinating. She's going to join us next. A compelling, compelling story from Helen Andrews. Coming up. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. The fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck program. No one has yet figured out what rules should govern the new frontiers of public shaming that the internet has opened. New rules are obviously required. Shame is now both global and permanent to a degree, unprecedented in human history. No more moving to the next town to escape your bad name. However, you can go as far as you want. Wait as long as you want. But your disgrace is only ever a Google search away. The right to be forgotten. Taking the human memory and making it perfect forever. What are the new rules? What is it like to be chased out of the public sphere and having to move to the other side of the planet only to realize it doesn't stop there? Helen Andrews, shame storm in one minute. It was October 2010 when our next guest appeared on a panel to promote a book of essays by young conservatives. Proud to be right. Voices of the next conservative generation. The moderator was Jonah Goldberg. One of the other panelists was my ex-boyfriend. During the question and answering, uh, Todd, the boyfriend, launched into a rant about uh, Helen's personal failings. He accused me of opposing Obamacare on the grounds that it would diminish human suffering, which allegedly I preferred to increase. 
of wanting to appeal laws against fistfights for the same reasons, of being sadistic and scheming, a heartbreaker in his own personal life, and generally living according to a disturbing and brutal set of values. For three minutes and 45 seconds, which unfortunately for me, were captured on film for broadcast two weeks later on C-SPAN, he made an impassioned case that I was a sociopath. It stuck. Helen Andrews is that woman that was on C-SPAN. Welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me, Glenn. <sighs> wow, Helen, you've been through the ringer and back. Are you back yet? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, been eight years since that happened. Um, but, you know, just the uh, week or the very day that I sat down to write this essay, my husband came home and said, honey, you won't believe what happened. I was at a conference, and we were talking about bad breakups in the conservative movement, and one guy pulled out his phone and said, oh, my goodness, if you want to talk about bad conservative breakups, you have to see this C-SPAN thing. The poor guy had no idea that he was talking to my husband. Oh, so, you know, gosh. You after eight years, uh, it would have faded away, but no, it still still pops up. That's the thing. The, the Internet is forever. Yeah, so I want to talk to you a little bit about there's something in, in Europe that they're they're trying to push through, and that is the right to be forgotten, um, which is very, very human. I mean, we do forget things, and, and things fade. But with the Internet, it's permanently there, always, and you never can escape it. So tell me what... Tell me what happened um, that day and tell me your journey here in the last, you know, eight years. Uh, sure. Well, um, as soon as the video went up on the Internet, those three minutes and 45 seconds were instantly clipped and posted on YouTube. And they got half a million hits in the first 48 hours. Oh, my God. All the cable news networks did a segment about it. It even made the local network news here in D.C. It was written up on Gawk, Washington Post, you know, Guide to Mental on Ex-Girlfriend at C-SPAN panel. Um, so all of my coworkers saw the video. All of my friends saw the video. Um, it how, just became a huge story. How old were you when you sat down for that interview? And you were because you were 22 when you dated this guy, right? Yeah. And I think I was uh, 24. Okay. When the video went big. So, you know, I, yeah, I was 24 years old and basically thought, well, that's my life over now. Right. And you admit that you were pretty, pure, pretty brutal to him. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and you know, that's where I eventually arrived. You know, I, I uh, thought about, you know, Todd's uh, talking for four minutes about what a bad person I am. Well, you know, honestly, he could have gone on for four hours <laughs> about what a bad person I was to him and not said anything untrue, you know. So who, who am I to say that I didn't deserve being embarrassed, you know? So, um, you know. so after you had, you know, half a million hits in 48 hours, how did your life begin to change? Um, I think I didn't realize at first just how permanent a part of my life, this thing was going to be. Um, I thought it would just be a week of bad news coverage, and that would be embarrassing, but then I would move on. Um, it started off with little things, like I would be walking down the street on one occasion with my parents, oh and people would stop and point and say, hey, C-SPAN girl. Oh. Uh, about a year after the um, incident, 
I decided I wanted to move on from my job at National Review. And funniest thing, no matter how many resumes I sent out, uh, I couldn't get a job interview, um, which made sense. I put myself in the shoes of a prospective employer, and I figured, yeah, if I were trying to hire for a position and somebody's first Google result was some rant about how she's maybe a psycho, you know, yeah, I might look at other candidates, too. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, that, that's easy enough for them to say, but for me, it was a, um, a pretty serious blow to not be able to find a job. Did, did, uh, and eventually, as you mentioned, I moved to Australia, moved to the other side of the world. Uh, and even there, um, because that's the thing about Google, it's completely global. Uh, it followed me to the to another hemisphere. And so when you were looking for a job there, you couldn't find a job for like 18 months because people, the first thing they would do is Google your name. That's right. And then once I did find a job at a think tank, it still followed me there. You know, I'd I uh, put out my first report on nonprofit regulation, right? Like the way charities are regulated in Australia, a pretty you know benign topic. But the minute the report was released, uh, an Australian MP uh, tweeted a link to the video and said, "I don't trust this person's views on charity regulation." <laughs> you know, not even some schmo on the internet, but an elected official has decided to to use that as ammo. Against you know any any public statement I want to might want to make in the future, so yeah, it's going to be an all-purpose rebuttal. I ha- I have to ask the obvious question here from the right, and that is, do you think it would have been the same if you uh, were a liberal and not a conservative? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, you know, I people always say don't read the comments, and that is definitely my advice to anybody else that this ever happens to. Don't ever read the comments. But I couldn't help myself. Uh, and the thing that I noticed over and over again is that these people would say, well, you know, gossip is bad and we shouldn't make fun of people for bad things in their personal lives. It's none of our business. But in this case, this chick is obviously some kind of Christian right wing nut job. So therefore, that makes her a hypocrite. And that's why it's OK for us to talk about it. Uh, that's something that a lot of people do psychologically when they join in on these Internet pylons. You know, they come up with a reason for why, no, it's actually okay in this case. You know, it, it's justified. When really it's just they're, they're joining in because it's fun. Is there any difference, do you think, between, I mean, other than the final outcome, um, is there any difference between this and the mobs that used to dunk the witches or, or burn the witches? It, a lot of people just joined, did, didn't, you know, just didn't have anything else to do. Oh, yeah, and... and the way that you know it's completely irrational, you know, that it has no basis in, in actual justice or, or truth or logic, is that arguing back never, ever helps. You know, if, if, if anybody who finds themselves in the middle of one of these storms, your first instinct is always going to be, oh, well, I'll just explain my side of the story, and then everyone will understand. But uh, because nobody in one of these pylons is interested in the truth, Anything you say is just going to be twisted out of context or made to make it sound worse, or it's going to be like, you know, crying when a bully attacks you in the schoolyard. You know, nobody's listening, so rational argument isn't going to help anything. Holy cow. Um, How you survive this is beyond me, and, and that's, I guess, where I want to go next. How did you survive it? What did you take from it? How should you fight these things? Um, if it if it happens to you, uh, Helen Andrews uh, will continue in one minute. 
Do you have any outrage-addicted people in your life? Oh, you know what pisses me off about that? You want to help them, but you're constantly dodging things that are being thrown, and you don't know how. Try giving them a copy of Glenn Beck's latest book, Addicted to Outrage. It's much cheaper than therapy, and hurts less than a book to your head. And it's more fun. Addicted to Outrage, the new book from Glenn Beck. Available everywhere books are sold. This is the Glenn Beck Program, and we're talking to Helen Andrews, a conservative writer. She wrote a piece in, in First Things called Shame Storm. Helen, you, you brought up something I think is really interesting about how people won't uh, react to rational thought in these moments. And it strikes me that when these things start, when these sort of online shame uh, trains begin, we in ourselves wind up excusing a lot of awful behavior to in an attempt to pile on we uh, like you use a, a great example which was Ke kevin williamson we love kevin he's been on the show before he went to the atlantic if people don't remember the story and they unearthed some uh comment that he had made about abortion and the comment the, the controversy really wasn't about the comment afterwards people started saying i'm, I'm fearful to work with kevin williamson um, I, you know, 25%, he might want to kill 25% of the, of the women who work here. And you point out correctly, no one actually believed Kevin Williamson was a threat to anyone around them. They had justified in this moral sort of crusade, the idea that they could say anything about this person and, and, and lie about their own feelings to, because this was so justified. Did you feel like you were kind of at the other end of that going through this process? Uh, sure. Um, you know, I, I would read in, in comments or blog posts people saying things about me that were just not true, you know, that were just factually, easily, checkably false. Um, and I kind of wondered, how is it that these people who have never met me uh, care so much about ruining my life? What did I ever do to, to make them so angry with me? And eventually I realized that they're not angry at me. They don't care all that much about me one way or the other. Uh, they've got their own reasons. They're angry at women or they're angry at conservatives or they're just angry in general and like lashing out um, or they just enjoy the rush of feeling outrage. You know, you, you really, once you read enough of the comments or follow enough of these shame storms, you realize it's not about you. Uh, it's not about the person at the middle of it. Um, it's just about, there's just a pattern to the dynamic of the way these things always go. It's like a, a wave or an avalanche. So, so uh, how, how, how do you deal with it? Because I would imagine you've tri you tried all of the, you know, argue, let it go, don't read it, uh, be nice. I mean, what works? You know, it's, it's funny. It took me a long time to get to a place where I'm okay with it. But once I did, I realized I was actually grateful um, that... This, I, I truly believe it was part of a bigger plan that this should happen to me. That, you know, I was a pretty rotten person when I was 24. I was selfish and, and careless and very proud. Uh, and I don't know if anything short of this kind of knock upside the head uh, could have done it for me. Um, you know, I, I was raised in a very secular household. You know, the only church we recognized was the Church of NPR. Um, huh. But uh, uh, it was only in college and after going into conservative journalism that I met any Christians at all. 
And one of the things that one of them said to me after this whole C-SPAN thing happened was, you know, Helen, there is no humility without humiliation. And, and gosh, was that true. You know, um, I was just a very proud person. My instinct was always to think that I don't deserve this bad thing that's happening to me. But I, I, that saying that just stuck in my head, there is no humility without humiliation, led me to some self-reflection and realizing that, you know, yeah, uh, the only solution here is to try and become a better person. Um, so, 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 so that so, was my lesson. So let me ask you, because I, I think that's a great lesson to learn and one I have learned um, through the years. Sure have. Uh, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it, it's important that we uh, recognize you know that you know recognize our place in the universe and time and space um however it also seems that no matter uh how much you change it's not gonna, they're just going to say you're only doing that because of x y and z so you never escape that does that make sense to you or have you experienced that uh absolutely absolutely yeah. um that there's no you know uh there's no way to indicate that you've changed or reformed, um, which, uh, you know, as the only thing that, you know, there's nothing you can do to change how other people Correct. think. You know, they're, they're, they're not your problem. You, you only have control Correct. over you. But one thing that, that I've certainly taken away is that when I see other people who have been through these kinds of shame storms or I hear rumors about somebody, oh, he did some kind of bad thing in the past or she's guilty of this. If it's been a while, I always start from the default of assuming, unless they indicate or prove to me otherwise, that they have changed and that they have become a better person. Give right. people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, it seems like we have, we're living in a society that just doesn't ever forgive. Yeah, well, you know, I've gotten a lot of feedback ever since this uh, essay was published. Um, you know, uh, some people, some people whose names I recognize and have seen on TV, uh, reached out and said something like this happened to me. Thank you for, you know, including a ray of hope at the end of your story. But the, the messages that got to me the most were from, you know, people in a small town who nobody had ever heard of, who aren't that famous, but whose lives have been wrecked or overturned uh, by events like this. You know, they said I was the worst person on the Internet for 48 hours, and then everybody else moved on, but I'm still here living amidst the wreckage. Uh, um, there's a guy I could spend so much time talking to you, Helen. And one question before we go. We've got about one minute. You wound up eventually reconnecting with your ex-boyfriend where this whole incident started, and you've, you've talked to him since. How do you, what's your relationship like now? How does he um, see this? Yeah, it's no, it's quite positive. You know, it's we, we, we because he suffered just as much as I did. Mm. You know, he eventually lost his job um, over over this incident. Mm. Um, and, and he's kind of, you know, people made fun of him on the Internet. He finds it hard to get gigs now. Um, and so we both kind of learned a lesson. He he I asked him if he would do it over again, if he if he had the choice. And he said, absolutely not. <laughs> not yeah. a chance. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no. And and. And I forgive him, and he forgives me, and, and that's really the the moral of this story. Helen, thank you for having the guts, for, first of all, for not giving up, 
um, and and then finding the positive message in it uh, and and changing your life. I think this is a great story of redemption that's not going to go viral, um, but it should because it's important. And I think it's going to happen to all of us in one way or another. Helen, thank you. Thank you so much. Glenn. You bet. Helen Andrews, um, you can read this story. It's fascinating to read. Um, and she's and she really goes into great detail of other people and and the things that she tried along the way. Um, you can see it. It's at first things. It's called Shamestorm. Just just to Google search Helen Andrews and Shamestorm. Well, we'll tweet it out as well. Yeah, yeah. maybe you shouldn't Google her because no. then you'd, so you're just you just playing into it, you bastard. Yeah. What are you doing? Because she's a psychopath. <laughs> she's a really bad person. I've heard. At World of Stew, at Glenn Beck, we'll get that tweeted in the next couple of minutes here. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. I never watch America's Got Talent. Uh, I just don't watch TV, generally speaking. But my son came to me with YouTube and said, Dad, you have to see this woman. Uh, Vicki Barbalock is her name. She's 60 or 60 years old. I'm the 61 this year. <laughs> you're, you're 61. Okay. Uh, and she came out on stage, and I don't remember who it was, Naomi Campbell or somebody said, what are you going to do? And she said, I'm a ballerina. And she's clearly not a ballerina. <laughs> and she followed that with, no, I'm kidding. I like to eat. Uh, so I'm not a ballerina. And it went on from there. And she, you came back, I think, th- two times after that? I think there was, you know, I think there was like four more shows till the last final. Okay. And you are now going back for the Champions, Champions? show. Champions, where are they now? I'm right. like, I'm in the driveway. I haven't left. It was, I just got out of there. So you, now, like, you really, you, you are from California. Yeah. Um, you've been a comedian. Uh, 20 years. 20 years. And you kind of found yourself in a place to where you were too old for your own club. club? I mean, yeah. I mean, I didn't start till I was like nearly 40. And I didn't know that was not a good idea. I, <laughs> luckily, or I wouldn't have started, you know. Right. I probably would have that because I am an idiot. But I mean, <laughs> and so, you know, I was I was having a great time doing it. But when I would go, no matter what would happen to me, like e-television would say I'm in the next breakthrough from the comedy store. I would go to these agents in Hollywood and they go, well, we... We, we, you're too fat. You're too old. You're too. Uh, we do, there's nothing we can do for you. Oh my and so, and so, I mean, I, I just, I just kept hoping something would happen. But I just, you know, like Steve, Steve Martin said, you get so good they can't ignore you. And that was my only plan. Just keep doing it. Keep loving it. But I kept thinking maybe Steve was wrong. Right. Then America's Got Talent happened, and what happened? That show has such a gigantic reach, and the people it brought to me, uh, it just then Hollywood had to come around. Your dad. <clears throat> Yeah, my dad played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He played for the yeah. Steelers. I'm not bragging, Beck. I just wanted you to know what right. the daughter of an NFL football player looks like because you never saw one before. Right. This is no padding. This is natural. Right. So, yeah. And so he had, you know, he'd been hit around a lot, you know, leather helmet time for him, 1950, mm. 51. And so as I grew up, he was daffy and daffy and daffier, but he was just lots of fun. And, you know, he, he was just a, a great dad but he was totally daffy <laughs> so what where do you get this from your dad or from your mom because you're i think uh you know i just i was also a little fat little kid i was like hugely fat i was like 220 at 12 and wow. so i was my birth weight was 104 pounds so i mean i was always, <laughs> you really let yourself go <laughs> I let it then now so so my so my life was a child that was bullied and, and i would make the fat jokes first so fat jokes were defense i learned that in my whole life that like anything good happened to me came 
because I could make people laugh. So it was always something that I did. I worked for my parents at their carpet store for 20 years, and I didn't care if people bought carpet for me, but if they didn't laugh at my joke, I was devastated. Mm. So, I mean, it was all, I've always been about making people laugh. The stuff in your, <laughs> the stuff in your act, for instance, you know, you never drink alone. Yeah, like, you know, I, I, I'm very proud of that. A lot of the other moms, they would just sit around and drink all day, but I was disciplined because, you know, only alcoholics drink alone. I read all the pamphlets. I would always, <laughs> I always waited until the kids get home from school. That's, you know, sometimes I wow. call in a fake dental appointment, you <laughs> right. know, when I'm so parched. Yeah, right. But I did my best. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and and, and when, you, when you took your kids on field trips. Oh, yeah, that's another thing. My mother, you know, that come from the last generation, I think, of women that partied 24-7. You know, and I got kids, I'm, I'm thinking, party, but the party was over, right? I didn't know. My mom and her friends always, always brought flasks on field trips. I mean, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to get on a bus sober with first graders. Not now, not ever. I don't care what they do to me, right? So I go on my daughter's first field trip, and I take out my flask, and it is, it's not a big algae flask. You know, it's a very pretty, it's a little two-ouncer. Right. It's not a, okay, how loaded could you get off of two ounces anyway? Right, right. right. But I take it out, and I take a little flat, you know, sip. And all the other moms on the field trip, they just go ballistic. They're like, you know, she's got a flask, she's got a flask, you know. And I'm like, calm down, you know, biatches. <laughs> I'm not driving the bus. I am not driving. Relax. <laughs> so how much of your life is true? Are we going to find out you're living in a mansion? Yes, you are. <laughs> if I keep going, I'm going to buy a triple wide. You know, that's pretty much, you know, and the thing about the drinking alone, that was my mother. Every day I came home from school, my mother would sit there with her deck, deck of cards between her legs, her muumuu on inside out with a large amount of safety pins here in case 30 people needed a safety pin on every given day. She was a president of the PTA. She was a treasurer of the women's club. She was all those things. And she you know, would we'd come home and the, and the first beer would open, boom, when we'd walk in that side door. And my mother was a fun woman. I'm, I started when I started stand up telling that story that audiences got worried for me that I had this terrible childhood with a crazy alcoholic mm. mother. It wasn't like that. My mother was a blast and she was, it wasn't like that. So I took that story of my mother and I put it on me. And I mean, I do love to party. I'm not lying about that. Right. Box wine is my life. But, um, <laughs> It's but so everything in my everything that I that I talk about is coming from a truth that I know. Right. You know, and you and, but you do live, I live in, in a, a beautiful trailer. Yeah. Glenn, you cannot dynamite me. I've waited five years to buy the second best trailer in my trailer park. And I would like look at their trash can for like five years. I'd like what the, what's in there. I knew they liked Applebee's. That's all they knew. And then one day the trash was empty and I called the trailer park realtor, Les. He's like 90. I'm like, Les, I want to buy this trailer. He loaned me the money. I started AGT at the same time as trying to get this dream trailer. It all worked out. But I mean, I mean, I this I am so proud. I live on top of the hill. Look at it's beautiful. So you're you're out of the slums. I'm, you're you're I, looking I used, down right, on yes, the people. The in old the... trailer part of the I call that part of the park the ghetto. Right. I always call this the heights. <laughs> I don't talk to anyone be below the lake, which is actually a drainage ditch made to look like a lake, but right. I don't speak to those people anymore. Right. I wish I could, but I cannot. But you know. you, right. Well, you're in a different class you know now. They can look up yeah. on the hill and be inspired by what uh, you've you know, done. That's what I try to say. Yeah. Right. Don't give up your dream. <laughs> so, um, you, you know, if you sold your high yes. class, yes, top of the hill I will never. Yes. trailer park, yeah. uh, you know, trailer there yeah. in California, you could probably live in a 20,000 square foot home here in Texas. You know, I love, 
you know, I always had a dream. Seven years ago, my friend uh, Brett Frank, who lives in Denton, he saw me in Hollywood, flew me out here for his birthday party in Denton, his 30th birthday. I two-stepped all night. I had the time of my life. He and I took my promo pack over here to the Dallas Improv seven years ago, hmm. asked him if I could do a set there. They never, you know, got back to me. It took me seven years to get here. I've hmm. always wanted to be in Texas. I There's something mystical and romantic. And ever since that night, and, you know, Denton was on the border. But, I mean, I love it here. I would love to have a place on a lake here, a trailer. I would, you know, it'd have to be. I don't like drywall. I don't like drywall. I'm going to admit that right now. I just don't feel comfortable around it. (laughs) (laughs) I like to be slightly off the ground. See, in this part of the country, though, you're the the first to be sucked up. You know what? You're right. In this part of the country, I'm going to take it back. I'm going to have to do. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to face it. Right. I don't want to get blown to Kansas. Right. Or you could have an underground trailer. Part of your trailer (laughs) is underground that you go for safety. Uh, Back in uh, just a second with Vicky Barbalock. She is uh, the winner of uh, America's Got uh, Talent Top Ten. She is now going to be in the Champions uh, edition on NBC. It begins January 7th. So Vicky is on tour now. She's going to Tacoma. Oh, Tacoma. I used to live by there. Now it's been 30 years, but so pretty. Yeah, it's beautiful and a lot of trailer people. A lot of trailer <laughs> people. Wait. You love it. Uh, then you're going to Portland? Yeah. Are you crazy? I'm excited to the Portlandia where it really? stays weird. The voodoo donuts. <laughs> yep. Uh, good luck. Women and women first. Good you luck. Go to women that. and women first while you're there. You? Have you seen it? Oh, you'd love that. What's I'm, that? It's the Portlandia is the show. It's a sketch yeah, comedy yeah, yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so they're, I don't know, maybe their most famous sketch is, is, is a feminist bookstore. Yes. Oh, which yeah, yeah. is a real bookstore <laughs> yeah, there. Right. And it's insane. That's right. yeah. I love that oh, sketch. It's going to be. Yeah. yeah, I'm so excited. Uh, then Nashville, Tennessee Nashville. at Zanies. Uh, Huntsville, Alabama, the Stand Up Live, uh, Stardom Comedy Club in Hoover, uh, Hoover, Alabama. I can't wait to get there. Naples, Florida, off yeah. the hook. Uh, and then Rochester, New York, uh, Comedy at the Carlson. That's, That's just great. in January. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's crazy fun. I mean, I'm really excited about going around. It's what I always dreamed of doing. Uh, I would imagine some people compare you to kind of Roseanne. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about that? Well, all fat people look alike. And she did, <laughs> um, she did live in a trailer and we have brown hair. And right. in fact, you know, I, when I first met her, she left the comedy store before I came into the comedy store. Mm-hmm. And I always was worried when she saw me, would she feel that I'm, you know, hacking her? But I, I was doing a, this show called Funniest Mom in America. She mm-hmm. was the host. I was like, holy crap, she's going to, is she here the night I auditioned? They said no. And then I heard of this hacking laugh and I, I knew it was her. Mm-hmm. And she came up to me and she was so kind. She said, I love you. And she totally got that we were different. And and, and I wrote for her and uh, she was really good to you me. You did write for yeah. her? Wow. So it was wonderful, yeah. I hear um, she's not easy to work with. I, you know, I, I, uh, I, I just, you know, I just realized we weren't going to be best friends because she was who she was. She was, you know, Roseanne, and I was just little me. Right. So I would just send her this stuff, and and she would send me a check, and she was kind, and she had me open for her in Vegas once, mm-hmm. and oh, wow. and it was, yeah, it was. Uh, she was really so good. are you, um, are you somebody who, uh, I mean, you, you win the million dollars or whatever it is, and you, um, you know, you're a big, huge star, and you're going cross country. What, 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 what's going to change about you? You know, I, I, you know, I, I don't know that that's much going to change. I think because this big success hit me when I'm sexy. I think that you're, it's just different than it if you hit, you hit your earlier. I mean, I got my grandkids a go-kart for Christmas. That was like a dream come true. I'm going to mm. say that. But other than that, I mean, like, I, I'm going to, I'm not leaving my trailer. I might get another trailer in LA when I'm working there. But I, I mean, my whole, I don't think, I've been so happy doing stand-up. 
I've been just so happy the last 20 years. What did you do before that? I worked for my parents' carpet store for 20 years. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, it was just, they, my parents just, it was the craziest time. And that's why comics go, comedy's a struggle. It's so hard. I'm like, try working at a carpet store with your crazy parents for 20 years. Because <laughs> they, uh, they would sleep at the no, carpet literally, store. Our carpet shop was attached to a liquor store. Literally, uh, by the wall was a liquor store. The wall, liquor store, us. So my parents, like, we would start drinking in the afternoon. They'd pass out about 9 o'clock when we closed. People would come in in the morning. The door wasn't locked. They'd just walk into the shop. Mom and Dad would be sprawled out on the carpet rolls. Are you open? <laughs> oh, yeah. Can we help you? There was not even a blink. Not e and we sold only seconds and irregulars. I mean, that's and you only shop there if you were desperate or super rich. And, you know, it was just, it was my dad every morning had a, a pep talk in his office. I'm going to hire nothing but a-holes. I'm going to take an ad under a. a. That, was our, that was our morning pitch. It was. What, um, uh, what brought you to California? My dad started, uh, he managed carpet stores when I was little, he, and they moved him every year. And finally, when I was 19, uh, he opened up our first shop in Oceanside, and, uh, and that's, why, that's where we stayed. And how long have you lived in California then? I've lived in Oceanside for 40 years. 40 years? Yeah. California, I grew up on the West Coast. I grew up in Seattle. Yeah. And California 40 years ago is not California today. It's nuts. It is nuts. I swear, I'm my little enclave of Oceanside is protected by Camp Pendleton Marine Corps Base, which I love because, you know, at any given day, there's 30,000 gorgeous Marines walking around. <laughs> I, I mean, I think because we have the base there, our town stays a, a similar, like, it doesn't gentrify to the level of the other beach towns around us. So I'm just so grateful to be... In Oceanside, it's a little like when I go to LA to work and stuff. It's like, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, um, for where we are, it's just like a secret little spot. I mean, I think, it's going I to think, change. I think it is with with San Diego as well. I mean, it just the, Camp Pendleton changes the, the yeah. You know, the it seals and the it. yeah. It just stops the insanity a yeah. little bit. Yeah, I'm so lucky, and my son-in-law's a retired gunny, so I get to be at the beach at Camp Pendleton on Christmas Day. We always spend Christmas at the beach at Camp Pendleton. Like, I mean. I, I just in the Marine Corps car washes, ladies, if you visit San Diego, don't go to the zoo. Go to the front gate of Camp Pendleton. You sit in your car. Twelve Marines wearing little green shorts wash your car. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and that is uh, that's what you might do for every some every Saturday every all summer Saturday, long. All summer you, long. That's where you will find me. Right. Because mm -hmm, I'm a giver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Semper Fi. <laughs> You're tremendous. Oh, You're just you. tremendous. Thank you so much for having me on. Big honor. Uh, it is. Uh, it's. It's great to see somebody uh, who is pursuing what they love because they love it and for no other reason, and then hitting it. And it's, I'm. I'm just uh, no other reason. I mean, you have the trailer on the hill. I mean, well, let's face it. Yeah. I mean, there's I, there is that. I reason. had a double wide dream, and it, <laughs> comedy made it come true. Where can people go to find out where to find you if they miss the dates? Uh, well, the on my Vicky Barbalek Facebook page is always my calendar. And I am, I have a website. It's called VickyBarbalatComedy.com. It's uh, on the brink of teeter. But if, hopefully it'll work if you guys look into it. VickyBarbalatComedy.com or my Facebook page. Or you can all call so, me at 760 You also started a, uh, a new podcast. Yeah, Vicky Barbalat Trailer Nasty. And also I am a, a ordained a wedding minister. I have a business called Wedding Chapel to Go. Are you and a so, minister of the uh, Of the Leopard Cloth. Of the leopard, oh, yes, and okay. I offer a twenty nine ninety five half hour honeymoon as part of my service. I have a wedding van; it pops out, and we just do pop up weddings. <laughs> <That's> so, <laughs> and awesome. so the twenty minute 
Did you say honeymoon? Thirty minute half hour honeymoon, twenty nine ninety five. I have I've kept that price uh, stable. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's in that in the back of the, the van. Back of the van. And it's a it's a wonderful experience. Uh, right. For the happy couple. <laughs> and you can renew your vows too. And you for I do a lot of re- anniversary renewals. I do you know anniversary parties and oh, that's we, we can also offer the twenty nine ninety five. You know, for you know that. maybe we should have but maybe we only. should maybe we should have like we do next year if maybe we could get you back yeah. we we should do like a bowling out I mean it's not a van right but we could you know it's a national show so yeah. maybe we could do like a bowling alley wedding and you could officiate absolutely oh, great, I have right? I would love to do that I have my own bowling shoes and bag. so you're ready so I'm we should let's go. do that next yeah. year you come back okay you bowling you can wedding. and we'll find the perfect couple oh my for God, the bowling perfect. alley wedding. I love it. Somebody <laughs> okay. is going to want to get married next year in a bowling alley on this show. Keep us in mind. Yeah, <laughs> Vicky, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Glenn. You can find her at vickybarbalock.com. Vicky Barbalock. Find her at Facebook, and if she's coming near you, make sure you see her. She is great. You're listening to Glenn Beck.